Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Bug Eyes Rock Pop Rambles. We're back after having a week's break. Where did you go, Paula? Well, I've been going back to work, haven't I? So I've been travelling to London Bridge and back every day and I've never been more exhausted in my life. <laughs> so what, I'm what, not used to this anymore. So what are the trains like? Are they as busy as what we've been seeing in the media? God, no. Um, today, like this was week four for me. And coming home, I think there were maybe eight people in my carriage, but most of the time it's like I'm one of one, one of two. I mean, I'm there with my little face mask just in case, but yeah, it's not been too bad. It's something that I was very, quite anxious about, if I'm honest, Um, but I'm not using the tube. I live in South London, so I'm on an overground train, which makes a big difference for me. I don't, yeah, I'm actively avoiding the tube. Yeah, I don't think um, I'll be going back on the tube anytime soon. To the point when I meet you for drinks on um, Saturday, socially distanced in the park, by the way, people, so perfectly allowed, um, I'm, I'm going to walk or I might cycle. It depends cycle. If, it's, well, it depends if Kerry's meeting me here, we're both going to walk and it's like an hour and 20 minutes mm-hmm. um, or it's like 30 minutes if I cycle or mm-hmm. less or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I think I think... The one good thing that's come out of this is I'm so much more active. Like, I've just been thinking about it a lot more, so I don't just sit on my ass. I've been going for 5K runs now. Well, I mm-hmm. say I say since it started. It's been the last two weeks I've been going I mean, on, like, 5K you, though, runs. 5K is not to be sniffed at. I'd struggle to do it. But still... Who am I? I struggle to do a 1K run. Okay, but still, you know, like, so on anyone who's got an iPhone, there's like a, a little app thing that's mm-hmm. got like a heart on it that's just, just comes installed on the phone. And still, still, it says that I walked on average, like I moved more on average last year than I do this year, like comparing week over week. It's like, how? Really? How? So so I've been making sure that I do, so I do like a 5K run and then going to like because me and um, Julia because Beth's back at nursery now so we take it in terms of who does the the drop off and who does the pick up and that's like a 20 minute round trip walking so there's that plus the 5k plus I make sure I go for like a little walk not like a long walk but just like get out for like even just 10 minutes walk and that is still not enough so you know you think Jesus even when I was traveling to an office I felt like I was just sitting on my arse all day, mm-hmm. but um, clearly I wasn't. I think you, you underestimate how much daily life involves movement, really, until it's taken away, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I suppose so. But I've, I've definitely, I've gone from someone who hated, like really hated running and came up with every excuse under the sun, like, oh, my knee hurts, or, oh, when I run and, you know, I get this weird pain in my shoulder and uh, any excuse. But um, No, no mate, I'm still there. It. I'm not going to lie. Nothing. <laughs> There's two things that lockdown has not made me do. One is clean the oven, and the second <laughs> one is take up running. <laughs> Nothing will push me to that. No level of boredom. <laughs> uh, no. Well, yeah, I'd say my, my um, yeah, I, 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 you mentioned the oven thing. I've heard, you know, from lots of people is in that they've been, 
like really like they've cleaned all their windows and they've, they've done all of it. it's like no no that that chance yeah there's still a, i still get like a pain in my shoulder at the thought of having to do that. the mere suggestion of cleaning the oven brings me out in like you know oh i've sprained my ankle <laughs> yeah exactly like, oh, I oh i need to lie down <laughs> Anyway, should we just stop talking yes. absolute nonsense and crack Sorry. on with talking something resembling cool. what we were said we were talking about? Absolutely. So those that are joining us this week, if this is the first time that you're hearing us, this is a podcast about the, I don't know, what would you describe it as? It's kind of like a ramble through tales of people from rock and pop, people that have inspired us or stories that we've found quite fascinating um done in a kind well, of really bizarre stories to be fair sometimes yeah yeah there, there, there has been some some bizarre stories there they're not always uh, very caster. what was that paula cynthia plastercaster cynthia plastercaster who's an absolute legend um but also you know some of the unsung heroes we cover once i've covered mine if there's any massive fans out there of kim dill i'm more than happy send me the links i love her i think she's great so without even explaining Paula's going to do Kim Deal today. That's who she's covering, clearly. clearly. Um, I am going to cover, um, can you guess? No, you can't. There's a blank stare. It's like there are millions of people you can cover. Oh, you're cover. talking to me, not the listener people out well, there. Well, this isn't a live podcast, so they can't really... I'd be waiting a bloody long time this evening, wouldn't I, if I wanted someone to <laughs> dial in? No, I was asking you... I can see the suspense is killing you, so I'm going to do Kim Gordon. And we have the tale of two Kims there. Ah, but it's not just two Kims. Really? Because I, do 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 as I always do, got so stuck into research, I was so torn as to who I wanted to do mm-hmm. um, this week that I have my own two Kims. So it's actually the tale of three Kims. I'm going to look at um, Kim Gordon and Lil Kim. Oh, check you. Look at you, Miss Research. Knocking it out, aren't you? Right, OK. But before we get stuck into any stories, um, I think we're going to start off with some... Was it? I think it's my podcast. Now, I think that we should definitely start off with some music. Paula, what do you think? Your opinion think, matters. why not? <laughs> oh, thank you for that. I feel very validated now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sure. Um, do you want to introduce your new music pick or should I go with mine? Um, can I go with mine? Because I really, really want you to hear this. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. It. Okay. I've been, I've been dying to play this band on the show um, mm-hmm. for, quite, for quite a while. The band is called Art Trip and the Static Sound. And I discovered them um, last year at the Beckdale Sound Test festival i think it was like an all weekend or an all day thing and they played in i want to say south norwood could be west norwood the place with the the bookshop the the record oh the store. record bookshop yeah, yeah that's norwood yeah that that oh west norwood then yeah so me and kerry went along one night um we saw Je- that's where we also the same night discovered Gemma freeman and mm-hmm. the cosmic something um but art trip and the static sound were great and then we saw them again and you saw no you you came a bit late i think you, they were also supporting um lines when lines came to london and played upstairs at the garage 
mm-hmm. which was called a Thousand Islands then, but is now called the Grace, and I think it might be changing its name again. But anyway, they they played that night as well, and they're just incredible. But anyway, before I say any more, play the track. I'm going to play the track. This is Negative Energy. So that was Negative Energy by Art Trip and the Static Sound. And uh, I suppose what I really love about this band is incredible live. So if you do see them advertised somewhere, you just cannot go wrong with seeing this band live. That It's just, oh, wow, like the energy. It's just electric. The, the, it's electric. Sorry. Oh, God, where am I going with this? Um, okay. They have. Paul's wetting herself now. Tears. Honestly, I've got tears. <laughs> Electric is a bug eye song. Probably my least favourite. Sorry to all those that like it. But um Oh my days. But anyway, yeah, so this this band have a knack for sort of social commentary. There's like mm-hmm. political rage that you can kind of hear going on there. And they're not just they're not just like any other punk band. They've got like a real rawness that's uncompromising. Um, it's poetic. I think, like, if you dig deeper into the lyrics, um, it's almost like a kind of rebel shout and uprising, and just yeah, it's. I just think they're truly exciting. I am a big, big fan. And just check out even um, like it's not just their music that is raw and cool and gritty. They've got 
fantastic lyrics that are very, very current, actually, to these mm-hmm. times. Um, and also, if you look at their artwork for all of their singles and EPs and stuff on their band camp, um, just great. I just love everything they put out. It's, yeah, brilliant. So check them out on SoundCloud, Bandcamp, Facebook, Twitter. You, you're not going to miss them. No one else has got this name or anything like it. They're called Art Trip and the Static Sound. So... On to the Kims. So I'm going to start with Lil' Kim, who I think a lot of people obviously have heard of Lil' Kim, mm-hmm. and I think there's a whole generation of people that probably know her more through her reality TV show appearances um, in more more recent years. But... Um, I know her from from an incredible album that was put out in the nineties, which is which is where I'm going to begin with her story. I'm not going to cover all of her albums. I'm literally going to focus the rise of Little Kim, Lil Kim, even, and 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 what what I think is is well, not just me. It's critically acclaimed. It's a landmark album mm-hmm. that really did did change things. So, Lil Kim was born Kimberly Dennis Jones but obviously better known for her stage name, Lil' Kim. She's an American rapper and songwriter, did you know? She was born and raised in Brooklyn in New York. She came from a broken home and as a teenager had endured a quite violent relationship with her father, verbal and physical. And as a result, she ran away at age 14 and fell into a sort of, I don't know how you'd explain, into a bad crowd, but... um, it was kind of an outwardly glamorous but dangerous and exploitative world of pimps and drug dealers, essentially. Um, which I don't know. What were you doing, at age fourteen? Not running around with pimps and drug dealers. No, I was sitting in. In um, I think the the worst thing in my life that probably happened at that point was my mum wouldn't let me paint my bedroom black, um, and so I used to just sit in my friend Hannah's house seething about him being jealous because she had a black bedroom and I wanted one um yeah anyway so in Kimberly Jones's teen at teens um she would freestyle rap on the streets mm-hmm. with her friends and she was influenced by a fellow female hip-hop artists that she would hear of of the time and by the time she um met Christopher Wallace at the age of 17 she dropped out of education completely now do you know who christopher wallace is no oh is it notorious big well done well done oh that's the kind of thing i'd never remember a a quiz i'm exactly i'm terrible i'm really terrible with names but anyway so how i remembered that one so 10 points me so she was 17 and he was 19 he already um started forging a a great career for, Mm -hmm. for himself um I mean, he was a couple of years older than her, obviously, and he was a small-time drug dealer, and he, as I said, was on on his sort of path to sort of stardom as the stage name Notorious B.I.G. And they met on a street corner after Kim did sort of an impromptu rap for Wallace, and he was, like, completely sold on her. Mm -hmm. Not just um, on her music. They would later go on to be... Not too much later, they actually went on to become a couple, but he was already with someone else so it wasn't like a exclusive exclusive thing but he had a real big impact on her invited her to join the group junior 
um, M-A-F-I-A, so Junior Mafia, but it's actually an acronym for Masters at Finding Intelligent Attitudes. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know it was an acronym. Yep, that's what it stands for. And their debut album, Conspiracy, generated two top 20 singles, that was in the United States, and was certified gold by the Recording Industry Association in America. Mm-hmm. So her career got off to a flying start. And as I said, the two of them became lovers, but it wasn't to last as B.I.G. was murdered in 1997. And uh, I don't know if you know, but that crime has actually, to this day, remained unsolved. Really? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Someone's going to email in and go, no, it's been solved like years ago, Angela. Get off Wikipedia and read something else. Um, <laughs> I did actually read other articles and things about about her so yeah um anyway so kim continued her career and she recorded her debut album hardcore which was released in november 1996 and i i was i mean you and i were both young at that at that point but i do remember this this album because i don't know if you remember over the years she's had a variety of different looks mm-hmm. and sort of takes things to extremes Mm-hmm. And that's not just with her looks, but like with her music and her lyrics. And, you know, as as guys were, were singing about sex and things like that, she was totally taking them to the to town on that and showing that she could own that in her own way yeah. too. And uh, it was quite, you know, some of the stuff she was singing about at the time, it was like, it was seen as quite scandalous. But uh, to today's standards, probably not. But back then, definitely um, anyway, so Hardcore was released in 1996 and the album debuted at number 11 on the Billboard chart, um, the Billboard 200, actually. And this is an interesting fact. It was the highest debut for a female rap album at the time. So she really? was kind of smashing it, absolutely smashing it. And it was number three on the Billboard's um, top R&B albums chart as well. So she sold like something like 78,000 copies in the first week alone and then went on to sell over 5 million copies of that. And she went... She's quite, she's quite groundbreaking in a lot of ways, isn't she? Like she's quite a, kind of like a forerunner sort of person. Totally. She, she was so young when this... Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is quite often the story with... with um, it's like that sort of young, raw talent mm-hmm. um, that, that kind of just explodes onto the scene and then they become a star very, very quickly and pulled in a number of directions, which I'll talk about in, in a minute. Um, but, yeah, so she went she went on tour to promote the album with um, P. Diddy, Puff Daddy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and that was his No Way Out tour. And the tour continued through to 1998, even though it started in 1997. Um, actually, I could fact-check that because it, if it started in December and December, ended, yeah. it, it could have been a very short tour. But I think from what I've written down, it was probably quite an extensive tour. Um, yeah, so the tour continued through to 1998 and became one of the highest grossing hip hop tours of all time, grossing an estimated 16 million. Bloody hell. Yeah. So this is, you know, this is before Beyonce uh-huh. and and all of, all of that. But yeah, I mean, obviously there were other big... Lauren Hill and big, big Mary J. Blige and huge, huge artists. But, you know, she she was really quite groundbreaking at that time. Um, and obviously that tour wasn't just her tour. She was, she was a support artist on that tour. But what a fantastic thing to have been involved with to promote your, your album and to be part, have that part of your story 
mm-hmm. as well as being the first female rap artist, yada, yada, yada. You know, fantastic, great. And I suppose the album's notable for its kind of raunchy, sexual tone um, and a lyrical delivery. There's there's quite an aggression in that album. It's not yep. a sweet 17-year-old who's who's innocent. It's someone who, you know, when you read about her, she says, you know, at age 14, she she had to do whatever she could do to get by. And sometimes that meant just having sex with men to get some money to make ends meet. So this this is a girl that's lived, you know, quite a harsh, rush, you know, harsh life, rough life, mm-hmm. um, with, with her parents divorcing, abusive father, then, then all of the, this stuff, you know, and yeah, it's no wonder that album, all of that seems to just come through in that album. Um, so it's considered a classic, which, you know, when I was doing my research, I was, well, when I was deciding on artists, I was just looking through CD collection and I literally, I thought, right, okay, man, I really have no idea who, I, I didn't know you were going to do Kim Deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got no idea what I'm going to do, right? And I yelled to Julia, I was like, pick a letter. And she picked K. And I looked through and I was like, ooh, Kim Gordon. Ooh, who, who else am I thinking of? Kim, Kim, Kim. And then I thought, Lil Kim, oh, no, who do I do? And that's how it kind of started. And I thought, well, I'll do both. If I keep it mm-hmm. kind of short and sweet for both, I can fit them both in. But um, I've only got one Kim and it's short and sweet. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, ne- I'm nearly finished on Lil Kim. No, no, carry on. Because, you know, there's there's loads that I could talk about her with but I sort of just wanted to celebrate um someone who you know has been in the tabloids for a number of reasons over the years mm-hmm. um falling outs with you know Foxy Brown who is her rival um and and obviously the whole kind of reality tv show side of things that's hers but I just really wanted to talk about that album and and her career in general I mean you know she went on to release the notorious KIM Kim um, mm-hmm. And that, that was actually almost four years after her debut. And she worked with Puff Daddy on that, so she kept that relationship going. They worked really well together. But she had so many impressive guests. Did you know she that Grace Jones was on that album? No, I did and not know that. Mary J. Blige, and it, it yeah. kind of went in at, at number four in the trust and also went platinum, that album. Um, and, you know, her celebrity status rocketed. And another thing that, that, that people will remember is the, the film Moulin Rouge, and the yeah. single that kind of was used to promote that from the soundtrack, which was a, a cover of um, Patti LaBelle's Lady Marmalade. Mm-hmm. And that was um, Pink, Mayer, Christina, Aguilera. I can never say her surname. Aguilera. Um, that's the one. I think I did actually say it all right that time. But, then, well. but, you know, and then also Lil' Kim was on it. And it was it was the four of them. They totally owned it. And it just, mm-hmm. you know, her celebrity status just rocketed from there. That song went to number one and felt and spent like five weeks in in that position. It, you mm-hmm. know, what what a great thing it won a Grammy Award. Um, yeah, incredible, incredible. And it was it was definitely something that that again, given the fact that Lil Kim at that point was so famous, this this should have, I feel cemented her name even further mm-hmm. with that collaboration um into the world of of kind of pop i suppose if you like rather than there's there's the debate on tv at the moment whether you should have whether urban 
should be a genre because it seems that all sort of black artists just get chucked into urban, whether they are urban or not. Mm-hmm. But I, I suppose first she's she's a rapper, she's a pop star, she's an icon to many. And one of the things that um, I loved about her, but I didn't know too much about it because I'm not someone who does read gossip columns and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, was about her changing appearance. And I thought things that she did was very kind of political statement with like the blonde wig and the blue eyes and being this kind of opposite of what all the the kind of sensible, pretty pop star girls who weren't really saying anything in their music, that she was kind of making a statement about, about that. And I suppose in a way she was. But the media has made like loads of jokes about it over the years and and what I actually read when doing the research for this was the truth is that she actually battled with self-confidence um, mentally and physically um, since she was a child. She'd been emotionally abused during her childhood and by romantic partners that just kept cheating yeah. on her. Um, Didn't she so have she... a lot of quite... Um... I don't know if physically abusive, but she had quite a lot of abusive relationships as an yeah, adult as well. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of followed from her childhood into her kind of romantic yeah. relationships. And she never really felt pretty enough. But then also, it was one of those things that where she was growing up, um, the white girls in the street would just always just make fun of her and take the piss out of her because she was black, essentially. Um, and And, you know, there was one of those things that she sort of had that low self-esteem and she wanted to fit in and wanted to be like them. I don't think mm-hmm. it was a case of she wanted to be white. I think that's that's not what I'm saying here. She, she even mentions this in an article that she kind of mimicked those people. It was a kind of a statement about that, but also about her insecurity. Mm-hmm. So just to end off on Lil' Kim, she did a stint in prison. Uh, basically mm-hmm. in 2001, gunshots were fired outside Hot 97 Studio in Manhattan, um, Lil Kim had been interviewed on a radio station and one man was shot and critically wounded. Um, according to reports, the shots were fired after an acceleration between Kim's entourage and a group associated with her rival, Foxy Brown. When the case came to trial, Kim told a grand jury that she had no knowledge that her two entourage, which was her manager and her security um head of security, mm-hmm. um, had been present at the time of the shooting. But then, obviously, footage came out later showing the three of them being there. So yeah. um, she was convicted of perjury and conspiracy for lie- lying to a federal ground jury in March 2005. Um, and she was also fined $50,000. Um, yeah, and sentenced to a year and a day. Sh- did she release an album while she was in prison? Oh, the album came out, like, literally. Um, so she went to jail on the 6th of July in 2005, and her album came out um, in September 2005. So she wasn't able to do mm-hmm. any promotion around that. And so it kind of went in at number six on the Billboard 200 and then dropped out of the charts after eight weeks. Um, and I don't know, if you listen to the album, it's nothing to do with the album. It mm-hmm. just shows purely... If you're an artist, you have to be doing promotional work to to keep to keep that out there in the in the public. She's got a reality TV show called um, Girls Cruise, mm-hmm. but yeah, she did have an album out last year. That's her fifth studio album, which is called Number Nine, and the follow up, which will be like a Number Nine Part Two, will be released 
this year, hopefully, uh, plans might have changed because of what's going on with COVID-19. A pandemic will do that. Uh, yeah, so anyway, she said, so why is it called number nine? Um, she started out in Junior Mafia and she was, and it had nine members, mm-hmm. right? Her daughter was born on June 9th and Biggie died on March 9th. So, you know, she made the, the, a connection that, yeah. you know, the album's a bit of a spiritual thing for her. I did think, does it mean she's got nine albums? She doesn't have nine albums. No, she doesn't. It was her fifth. She could have called it <laughs> That five. would have been my first thought, to be fair. Well, yes. But anyway, it's called number nine. But anyway, that was Lil' Kim. I think she's an absolute legend. She took the guys a run for their money, lyrically, musically, attitude-wise, persona-wise. She carved her own way into the market, be that through a lack of confidence and things that have happened to, to her in the past, it it shaped her as an artist. And I think she should be, I want to say she should be remembered. She's still here. She's still making music. But I, you know, I, I just, I just think that she's an incredible force that, that has, you know, shaped a lot of artists today um, and certainly changed stuff in pop, pop music. So my Kim, and I've only got one of the Kims, is Kim Dill. Um, she's someone for me that I think she's she's always been around in my life, not physically, personally, but in terms of her music. Like, I grew up listening to her music. In terms of being a bass player, I love her style of bass playing. So I was really, I'm kind of a little bit nervous to do Kim Dill, to be honest, because I want to do her justice. But also, when someone's had, like, the length of a career that she's had, I, I even if I had three podcasts on my own, I wouldn't be able to get it all in and do it properly. So I'm going to do a brief Kim Deal, let's say. So um, Kim Deal was born also in the States. She was born in Dayton, Ohio, where she still lives, actually. She, um, she moved back there, I think it was in the last couple of years, because her mother um, developed Alzheimer's. So she moved back there to kind of be there and care for her. But like in her younger years, or in her childhood, rather, she lived in Ohio with her sister, Kelly Dill, who's also in The Breeders, and her older brother. Um, she doesn't paint the greatest picture of Ohio in those times. She said it was like growing up in Russia. I mean, kind of like reading to what that, what you will, but this is a sort of early 80s when, I guess, if you're an American, living in Russia probably wasn't your absolute ideal of places to be living. Um, she talks about growing up there and there not being too much to really do. She was quite a kind of straight sort of lace kid. She went to school, they played sports, they were all like day to day at school. They seemed to be like very, the kind of sort of all American kind of kids. But in the evenings, they were kind of listening to a lot of punk music. Um, they were listening to the undertone, Sex Pistols, that one of Kelly's friends had been sending them from California. And she goes on to say that those cassettes became like their most sort of treasured possessions. They were kind of what they lived for. They were really quite passionate about the music from a young age. And they went on to write music together. She taught herself to play guitar on an old acoustic her dad had bought. And they built, and I think this is quite cool actually, like two teenage kids in Ohio, they built their own bedroom studio by the time they were 16. That's crazy. I know. That's crazy for that time. I mean, well, crazy good, but you know, that's, I mean, they had like a little eight track in there to write songs on. They even went as far as to buy a drum machine. So it felt like they were in a band. I wonder what that drum machine was like back then. 
I don't know, like what kind of that must have been like early eighties. It must have been massive. Yeah, massive or like do you remember at school like the Casio keyboards where you had like five little drum pads that just sounded like the worst sounding electronic. Haven't you got one of those in your studio still? Yes, Beth's Beth's got one, which was Julia's from from that time. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you could you could literally there was like a drum demo, so mm-hmm. you could have a yeah. So I'm wondering if it was something like that, or if it was a bit more high tech. I don't, I don't think it really matters, but no, anyway. in the context of this, not really. So uh, yeah, so there there were two sisters that they were kind of just sitting around. They went out and played a few shows. They were quite sort of folky. An acoustic, but what I didn't realise was a band that they were playing in then were actually called the Breeders. Really? Yeah. So this was like their kind of sort of childhood sister band. Um, they grew up, went their sort of not separate ways, but kind of got on with their lives. Kim got married and moved to Boston, while Kelly Dill stayed in Ohio. It's while she was in Boston that she applied to an ad that was in the paper. Do you remember those days when people put ads in the papers for things? It wasn't like get on Gumtree. Um where she saw an ad for the Pixies. At the time, she was a guitarist, like she'd never played bass in her life. And for the audition, she had to borrow her sister's bass to go and do the audition. Um, She was, whether she was the best or not, she was the only one that turned up. So she got the gig. (laughs) Sometimes that's just the way it goes. Yeah, don't worry about how these things happen, just let you get there. She also paid for her sister, Kelly Dill, to fly out and audition to be their drummer. God, that's some sistery love. Do you know what I mean? And although, like, the rest of the band and Frank Black loved Kelly Deal on drums, Kelly herself just wasn't too confident playing drums, so just decided yeah. not to do it. So at that point, um, Kim Deal suggested one of her friends, I think it was a friend of her husband, called David Lovering, who actually went on to become their drummer. Um, they went on to release two albums in quick succession. So they had, like, in 1987, they released Come, in Pil- Come On Pilgrim, rather, Come In Pilgrim. And then in 1998, they released Surfer Rosa. And on both those albums, she's credited with she's credited as Mrs. John Murphy, which apparently she overheard someone in the doctor's surgery insisting being um, referred to by her husband's name as a mark of respect for him. What? <laughs> say, o- say that again. That's Did I hear that right? That Yeah. Not not Kim Dill personally, but she overheard someone saying that, that she had to be known by her husband's name out of respect for her husband. Sorry, for a second there, I thought you said that that's what she said. I like, no, 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 no. That is truly surprising, but okay. No. But, it's but still, that's, all... still, that's still rubbish that someone... Yeah, I'm just glad but it wasn't she is her, also quoted it? saying, it was really uncool to be a married girl in a band, so of course I really loved that. <laughs> and it's just her... I think that's like kind of symbolic of her whole attitude of... You know what? This is me. This is my music. I'm not here to like, you know, be super pretty or make a big deal of being a woman on stage. I'm here and I'm playing and that's enough for you kind of thing. And I think that kind of yeah. that quote sort of embodies her attitude. Um from Surfer Rosa, I think Gigantic's probably my favourite song. It's also one that was co co-written by Kim Deal and she she sings the lead vocals on that one. Um, she says the inspiration for the lyrics came from a film called Crimes of the Heart, which I've never seen, to be honest. But it's about a married woman who falls in love with a teenager. And Frank Black describes the song as a good chord progression, 
with very Lou Reed, Lou, sorry, Lou Reed influences, which I don't really get from it personally. I, no, well, I'm not going to argue with, with uh, Mr. Black on that one. Um, being in the band, I think he's probably got some insights maybe into it. But um, no, I, I wouldn't have picked that up from it. But who knows, you know? No, um, I guess what the inspiration is and where, where it ends up can be very different. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's been covered a number of times, which I didn't know. It's been covered by a real big fish. Okay. I didn't know. It's been, been, yeah, okay, carry on. It's Sorry. been covered by Bell and Sebastian, which I really want to try and seek out now. I didn't know that. And I actually do like, obviously not enough to know that they've done a cover of that. Mm-hmm. But um, no, Bell and Sebastian are great. We need to do an episode on them, actually, because I've, I've heard Ooh. some, yeah. Okay, I'll leave that one for you yeah. then. <laughs> no, 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 no. Maybe we can do a s- split it and do uh, do Bell and Sebastian. They've got quite a good story. Um, it's also been covered by Pavement, if you want to elaborate on them anymore. <laughs> really? Yep. And Phoebe Bridges for a Apple commercial apparently covered it. Uh, it's been described, well, not described by Kurt Cobain, but Kurt Cobain says... I wish Kim was allowed to write more songs. Gigantic is the best song, and Kim wrote it. Although rumour has it that Frank Black was quite jealous of the attention that Kim Deal got for her songwriting and kind of put the dampeners on her being able to contribute towards Pixie's songs. Really? Apparently so, yeah. Mm, I mean, that wouldn't be the first time, I suppose, something like that's happened. Yeah, I mean, like, when they broke up, they, I think there'd been quite a lot of infighting between them, or a lot of, not maybe not infighting, but, you know, the way that people can just rub up against the wrong way yeah. and sometimes get frustrated with each other. But it was kind of due to that that the breeders were formed. I'm going to go and talk about a, li- a little bit about them now. Obviously, I'm not going to go too in-depth again. Um, they were formed by Kim Dill and Tanya Donnelly of Throne Muses, when they had both been on tour together, I think it was 87, 88, something like that. They were definitely, both bands were kind of winding down. I think, I don't remember which way round it was, but I know in one of the bands someone was having a baby and I don't know what's happening in the other one. But anyway, they didn't have any foreseeable plans, so they decided to start a new band. They or they went back to using The Breeders, which was kind of Kim and Kelly Deal sort of teenage band, although initially Kelly Deal wasn't, involved in it it was only when tanya donnelly went on to what was the name of the other band she was in tanya Mm. donnelly belly was it belly yes yes yeah tanya donnelly american grammy award nominated singer songwriter guitarist in new england who co-founded friend muses with her stepsister donnelly went on to co-form the alternative rock band the breeders before mm-hmm. leaving to front her own band, Belly. Belly. I did get it right. Lordy, go me. And Belly are the one that sings, Out the window backwards, which I really like that song. <laughs> so the original kind of formation with Tanya Donnelly and Kim Deal recorded the album Pod in 1990. But by 92, Tanya had moved on to go and do her Belly thing, let's say. <laughs> and belly thing. Well, belly thing. And Killy Dill joined the band as their guitar... Killy? Kelly Dill. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> belly Kelly. Uh, joined the band as a guitarist, recording the Safari EP, and then went on to record Last Splash with them. Uh, it was during the time of Last Splash that the Pixies kind of broke up for the first time, I guess you would say. Uh, there's different stories around how that happened. Some of them say the 
Frank Black sent them the fax. Turn and they've broken up. Yeah. <laughs> no emails in those times. They got a fax. Another story saying that Kim Deal was in the middle of recording Cannonball when Kelly Deal broke into the studio with the news that the Pixies have broken up. And Kim's response was like, get out of my way, I'm recording. Like, not caring at all. Cannonball went on to become the biggest song from that album. Um, it's got such a, for me, it's got such a recognisable, distorted sound just running throughout it from the intro. Like, it's just got some really, I love it. From the second you hear it like that, bit at the start, you just, yeah. you know what song's going to be played. Um, it's been described as, a, as having goofball lyrics that perfectly deliver the song's sense of unhinged and freewheeling fun, which I think is just sums it up. It's a great song. I love it. Did you see the Jules Holland video when um, the Breeders went on to celebrate, I think it was like, I might have this slightly wrong, 20 years on from Cannonball, and they, they basically reformed and went on Jules Holland and played it. No, I've not it's seen really, that. It's really cool. It's on YouTube. It's like from 2018 or something like that. I've got a question for you. Do you know who filmed the video for Cannonball? No. Kim Gordon. Oh, actually, I did know that. I did know that. Um, that's, I did know that because... Shall I tell you why I know that, as well as a number of other facts? Go on. I've done it again, Paula. I've read a book. No way. Yes, I will, I will be <laughs> sharing and reading from this book shortly. It's called Kim Gordon, Girl in a Band. Right, anyway, go on, sorry. Um, I'm just going to finish with a quote about Kim Deal by Steve Albini. Is that how you say his name? The record producer. Yeah, I think so. And he said, she has no truck with the music business. She's not played to any aspect of the game. She's just made music and other people have had to deal with the music she's made. And I think that sums her up like perfectly. You know, she was, she's been in two massive bands. She's been in the Pixies, she's been in the Breeders. She went on to be in the Amps. She went back to the Pixies, toured with them for nine years. Uh, she's done three albums with the Breeders. She's put seven inches out, out of her own pocket, which just probably cost her more than it made her. She's just mm. someone that wants to make music and put it out there, and she's someone that I massively respect. Absolutely. Do you remember when we saw the Pixies at Reading yeah. Festival? And, uh, yeah, we, we were right at the front. And that was when Kim Deal was still in the band. And then I think mm -hmm. I saw them, I saw them again with Julia at... I saw them at Field Day. It might have been Field Day. Was I there? I can't and, remember. But going back to Kim Deal and watching her live, I think when you see her play, you just, you're watching someone that loves to play music. She just, she does not stop smiling. And I think what was missing when she left the band is like, the way she harmonises with Frank Black is amazing. Like, her backing vocals for me, I think they're massively underrated on Pixie's records. I think, like, they make them. She can harmonise like no one else. But she's got such a distinctive voice. Mm -hmm. It's so unique. You can't just replace her. And it's, it was like the dynamics on stage mm -hmm. as well. She was just mm -hmm. great to watch. But it was almost like she was just having, as you say, like having such a great time. It was almost like one of those moments where you felt like you were being quite voyeuristic because it was almost like she at times was unaware that the audience was there. She was yeah. just so caught up in the moment of what yeah. of, of being in a band and the loud music and what she was playing. And, yeah, you really got like a little bit of a glimpse of, of yeah. And when you talk about dynamics, it's like, on one side, there's her. It's like she's loving every single minute, minute and just has the biggest smile on her face. And then you've got Frank Black that is a bit of a Mardi bomb, isn't he, if we're honest? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, enough of my 
rambles there. Should we hear some new music? Yes. Go on. Who have you got this week? So I'm playing a band called, or a Cornish three-piece called Bruise Cruise. Uh, This is a song called Bruise Cruise, and they describe themselves as being lo-fi, calypso, rave-up, party punk. So, should we give it a spin? Yeah, let's go for it.
So that was Bruise Cruise, and they are available for auditory exorcism, exorcisms, bar mitzvahs, funerals, and christenings. That's in normal times. In coronavirus times, you can find them online there, Facebook and Insta. It's both the same there at Bruise Cruise Band. Cool. And what was the name of that song again? Bruise Cruise. Oh, it's the same, the name yeah. of the band is the name. So, right, okay, sorry. I thought, I thought, I thought it's late in, at night and my brain's like not retaining information. <laughs> or it's late at night and I'm reading the same thing twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know. no, they're a great band. And I discovered them through Loud Women, which are a great organisation. So if you're on the lookout for new music, they're definitely one that you should kind of be following on your socials. Cool. Cassie is great who runs Loud Women. Just want to say that. I think she's fabulous. And we're hoping, hoping, I'm going to say this now, I hope she'll come on the show and have a chat. Oh, that'd a be chat awesome. with us. Um, yeah. She's lovely as well. Such a nice person. Yeah. she's. Do you remember when we went over to her kitchen? Yeah. And played a in, it was at Christmas. It was a Christmas tree up, and we played almost acoustically, semi-acoustic. While while Beth was under the dining room table asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll moments. There you How go. How cool are we? <laughs> okay. okay, Kim Gordon time. Right. Okay. Well, again, I feel nervous about doing. I feel nervous about doing both of uh, the Kims tonight, really, because. Um, they're pretty epic, aren't they? I think I think they're both legendary, and uh, it's it's you know I, d- I don't think I I did Lil Kim justice really. I think I you know with more time I could have gone a lot deeper into that, and I'm exciting mm-hmm. excited to see what she does musically next. I'm certainly going to check out her album, but onto Kim Gordon, and I did just finish reading after I decided I wanted to do Kim Gordon. Someone had lent me a book. And I've never given it back, which is really bad. Um, it was at a place can you, where it... Can you lend it to me after, do you think? Well, do that's why I think books... I think actual physical books, that's what they're for. They're for you to love them, cherish them and pass them on. Um, do you remember there was this whole thing about this person who just kept leaving books on the train with notes saying, read me? No. I might have dreamt that. Someone, if you're listening, please, can you look <laughs> at that and see if that's true? Like you do this every true. week. Do you think you've got an army of people out there that just research your random thoughts for you? <laughs> we do. We do get people sending stuff in, right? Actually, and um, God bless him. Pete is someone who messages in, and he he's had lots of praise in the past for Bangles. Episode. Oh, he found the the advert. I the, love that the poster and shared that with us. And then also he he went into a bit more depth about um, Delia Derbyshire that I didn't know. And and yeah, just yeah, we've we've had some great emails like from him and then band sending us stuff. So yeah, if you do want to email us, this is a great time to mention this. So if you do want to share some stuff with us or correct us, or send us new music, or stories you want us to cover, the email address is rockpoprambles at gmail.com. And um, we genuinely love getting them. We, I really do, I really do, to the point I might start reading some of the nice stuff out, or not, it might be a bit cheesy. But, um, but yeah, but if you want us to, I'm happy to do that, just let us know. But yeah, rockpoprambles at gmail.com. So yeah, be sure to email us. Um, so yes, going on to Kim Gordon. Um, so Kim Gordon is a musician, she's a visual artist, she's an actress and a writer. And she's bloody brilliant at all of those things. So some of you may not know, I mean, I'm a big 
um, Kim Gordon fan. And what I want you to do, Paula, is count how many mm-hmm. times I make a mistake and say Kim Deal instead of Kim Gordon. Okay. In this, right? But anyway. Do I you do want me to let you know when you've done it? Yes. You like a, <laughs> anytime you hear me do it. Oh, I can always, I have a buzzer? You could, you could, we could insert uh, one in the edit. Yeah. Uh, so just, yeah, make uh, it. That's that's like a, a buzzer that's running out of its batteries or something. Sounds like a duck that's drowning. <laughs> so, so no, yeah, so Kim Gordon, she rose to prominence as the bassist and guitarist and vocalist for alternative rock band Sonic Youth. And I did read um, her memoir called Kim Gordon, Girl in a Band, recently, which I have to say... I think, you know, some good choices on, on books recently for memoirs. And uh, this, this one is really great. It's, it's insightful into the band, into her life. It talks about so much more than just Sonic mm-hmm. Youth. And there's, there's wonderful pieces in there about um, Kirk Bain from Nirvana um, and other artists like um, Kathleen Hanna. She talks about Courtney Love. She talks about kind of no wave scene um and and all sorts of the new york art scene loads of stuff in there um it was just yeah i couldn't put it down to be honest it's and she just shows she's a fantastic writer um anyway so the info i've got is not just from that book um obviously i've used my favorite which is wikipedia um i also got some information from long live vinyl rolling stone mag enemy pitchfork and, and quite a few other sites, which I'll, I'll list them all in the show notes. So I suppose um, Kim Gordon met Thurston in New York. Um, Kim was 27, he was 22, and they met in downtown New York in a club. And for those that don't know, they're the two founding members of Sonic Youth. Um, so, yeah, the two would go on to form Sonic Youth. They'd also go on to get married, have a kid... And later get divorced. Um, quite a sort of messy, uh, emotional breakup, um, which she she details in the book. I'm not going to be talking too much about that here. Um, and anyway, they had a whole lot in between. You know, lived many lives, one would say. Um, but Kim Gordon, when she was growing up, was a big Joni Mitchell fan. But she also cites her dad's jazz records as a really big influence on her. Um, it was that sort of brought out the avant-garde in her. And jazz is still a lifelong love of hers. She still listens to jazz records today and still finds them incredibly inspirational. Um, the, the band was, of course, also influenced by the no-wave scene, which was kind of like a anti-new-wave scene, if that yeah. makes makes sense. Very art-based. and uh, But that's not the fact that Sonic Youth wanted to become like bands like that that they saw it was more that they wanted they liked the idea of doing something different and wanted to evolve it into something new um something that was theirs they weren't interested in making a scene they were interested when I say making a scene I'm talking about like a music scene they were more into the 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 way of looking at music and art together Mm -hmm. and seeing it as an art project um Kim was born but going back a bit further than that Kim was born in Rochester and moved to LA around age five with her parents and elder brother, Keller. They were an, um, an academic family, a ca- yeah, academic family as opposed to like a showbiz family. Mm-hmm. Um, 
her mum worked as a seamstress out of their house and her dad was was a professor and it was through through her dad actually that they would move about a fair a fair bit and um, because of his work but yeah so her and her brother um as thick as thieves but he was also the person who who tormented her non-stop teasing physical fights but she absolutely worshipped him um he used to and she goes into a lot of this in her book um that you know if she showed any sort of emotion if she laughed at something he took the piss out of her if she cried he took the piss out of her if she commented on something he took the piss out of her there was nothing she could do that wouldn't rise you know some comment from him so she learned to sort of repress her emotions um, mm-hmm. to keep them in and not, not not have a reaction to her brother. And she says that the image that a lot of people have to her this day is that she's quite a detached, impassive or remote person, um, that she can come across as quite cold. Um, and this, and she just says literally, I mean, that's obviously not who she is, but it's, it's through years of being teased for every feeling she ever had and learning to not, not show that expression. Um which ultimately, I thought she always looked dead cool. I still think she mm-hmm. does, you know. Um, I thought that, that was a of, persona. Yeah, love it. But no, it's just, it's just again, it's who she is. And, and that was the thing with Sonic Youth, um, that it wasn't a manufactured, stylized band. They were just doing what, what, whatever the fuck they wanted to do. They were not a commercial, yeah. commercial band. Anyway, um, her brother, Keller, was um, charismatic and took a lot of the attention of her parents. He was also very intelligent, but got into a lot of trouble. They moved to Hawaii for a year and then on to Hong Kong. Um, and there's there was a bit of a disturbing thing that she touches on in her book, um, where she says that Kim and her brother shared a room and it was here that he tried to get into bed with her naked. Um, and she pushed him Crikey. away and she didn't tell her parents about it. Um, she was 13 years old and didn't want to get her brother in trouble. Um, really? Yeah. Instead, she just let herself feel guilty as if it was somehow like her responsibility for her brother's actions. Um, but no one at that time recognised that Keller was actually showing signs of schizophrenia and his illness oh. would get worse over the years and he would eventually become a ward of the state. Oh. Um, but this isn't a story about about him. But um, I suppose with that... Um, I, I got to thinking about how, you know, siblings, not to this level, but how, you know, your siblings exist to wind you up when you're mm-hmm. a kid, right? But then Absolutely. there's moments of where you, something happens and suddenly you're like, you join together, partners yeah. in crime, so you don't <laughs> get in trouble with your parents. Yeah, I know that feeling massively. <laughs> well, it was like the time, um, so me and my sister Rachel used to fight a lot but I also thought she was like my best friend so it was like a love-hate relationship and I can't remember what I'd said to her or done or whatever but she chased me up the stairs I ran into my brother's bedroom and slammed the door and kind of like pushed against it she ran up to the door and she just kicked it and put her foot through the door 
It wasn't an expensive <laughs> door. I'd like to say that, but she's not like, you know, people thinking, oh, my God. But, yeah, she put her foot through the door. And then instantly it was like we were the best of friends again because it was like, oh, we're both going to get in so much trouble with mum and dad. So what we did was we pulled out, like, loads of posters from magazines and covered the entirety of my brother's bedroom door. But your brother was well chuffed to come to home to the door. But it was all of like hunks from just seventeen and yeah. stuff like that. And my mum was like, "What? Why?" And we were like, "We just wanted to do something nice for him." And so my mum wouldn't wouldn't let my brother take. I mean, they were on the outside of his bedroom door, which is a bizarre thing to do anyway, right? But she wouldn't let him take the posters down <laughs> because we'd done such a nice thing. I also like to add that finally. When we did have to take those posters down, my brother agreed that he would paint his door, but he would allow us to glue a piece of paper over the hole so he could paint over it. And your parents never noticed there was a piece of paper? Oh, they did, years later, years later, before they had the, you know, after the the ability to ground us was, uh, (laughs) you know, or worse. Worse? Just ground us. Don't know what I'm saying there, but, um, yeah. Yes, that was my little little uh, sidebar, but uh, yeah, not 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 anything in in relation to you know obviously to the extreme of what happened to no. Kim Gordon there. But um, but anyway, this isn't a story about her brother or her parents. This is this is more about Kim and Sonic Youth, but more about um, my favourite album of theirs, which I'll come on to in a moment. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting is with this is that even after Sonic Youth's first two albums came out um Kim still had to have a day job to make ends meet they were signed to record labels and those records were doing well and they were touring they even came over to England but they still had to to have day jobs and a lot I know I know like a lot of the view of bands like you know even now is that if I just get a record deal that's it I'm just gonna suddenly have money no no it that's that wasn't the case then, and it doesn't seem. But I'm to surprised be the that wasn't now. the case then because, oh, I'll, incorrectly, obviously, but I, I look back on those times and think these are times when people were getting like development deals and things like that. Well, they they were and they weren't. It depended, you know. That's like the big majors that would would pay you more money, mm. but the independents still existed and they didn't have huge amounts of money. They might mm-hmm. be able to put you in a studio and cover the cost of that, um, and then do all the the PR stuff mm-hmm. and merch you know things like this um that independent labels can't afford to do now that you know most bands still have to pay for yeah. their own record where back then labels did but they couldn't bankroll you to to live you know to cover all your bills and rent mm-hmm. and outgoings um, so, so even at the even at the time of goo being released she still had a day job no 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 that's what i'm gonna get get onto this because ah. that wasn't their second album ah. sorry you mm. wait, you wait, sit my back, pretty, I'll learn. wait, my pretty, get back in your box. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so basically, they had a record deal, but it still wasn't enough to live on. She had a job at Todd's um, copy shop on Moat Street in Little Italy in New York for a while. She studied art and had ambitions to become an artist, and then ultimately got a job at a gallery. But she's dreamed of someday becoming a legitimate gallery curator. Mm-hmm. and. So I suppose this is a point to to put in that um, Kim Deal... Oh, my God. Done it. (laughs) And I paused as well to say, don't say Deal Gordon. And then I just got confused. Right, yeah, Kim Gordon, yeah, is an artist first, musician second. And she says this herself. And that's not about 
ability, it's her passions. She was always an artist, mm-hmm. heavily involved in, in the art scene and, and was friends with a lot of designers before they they became big or renowned or, or whatever, you know, when I say big, that doesn't mean necessarily like the lights of... Um, oh, no, she did know Jeff Koons, actually. I was about to say, it doesn't mean like Jeff Koons, but she did know him and she does have a word to say about him. Uh, not a happy one. But anyway, um, <laughs> I can tell that by the look on your face. View, uh, viewers, listeners at home but, can't, but I can, thanks to Skype. But, but yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, so art continued to play an important part in um, Kim Gordon's life. And as I said, like today, she's a successful artist with exhibitions under her belt and she sees herself more as a as a visual artist. And I just really wanted to, to get that across. But my main point of covering Kim Gordon was to talk about an album that I really, really love of, of Sonic Youths. And the album I want to talk about is Goo. Yay. Paula's smiling. Uh, yeah. It'd have to be that or Daydream Nation, wouldn't it? Oh, I love, I love, love, love. I've got all of their, all of their albums. So, I mean, and there's a lot. Or they Dirty, were, maybe. Yeah, that's, yeah. Anyway, Goo was the band's first mainstream album. And when I say mainstream, it's not because they decided to go pop. It's because they really hadn't. No. But this was after 10 years of being on indie labels and putting out albums um, that they signed to Geffen, a -hmm. major label. Um, And at the time, people accused them of selling out... um, but those that know Sonic Youth know that they, they stayed true to music that they wanted to create and the messaging they wanted to put out and they really couldn't give a shit about, mm-hmm. you know, commercialism of, of music and, and all of that. I think that's proved in some of their albums that it speaks for this oh, itself, it, doesn't it? it does. I mean, their, their art remained personal and untainted mm-hmm. through it, really, which I think is, is, is quite clear. The album Goo was released in 1990 and this was the first album that I ever heard of Sonic Youth. Although that would be a few years later than 1990, but it was the, mm-hmm. the, it was my my route into Sonic Youth. That's a lot my, of people's. Well, yeah, I mean, my house was. I mean, back then, I mean, my house was filled with pop music that my sisters yeah. and my brother would listen to. I was the youngest of four, um, and my dad's old records, which were great, but you know, um, I wasn't at the age where I was getting pocket money to buy music magazines no. or even really knew how to get fanzines or even knew that they existed. Um, I just I just didn't know so I you know it was only as I got older and and discovered roots into that I you know discovered Sonic Sonic Youth quite quite late obviously uh, but for a number of reasons but anyway I've picked this album as my focus as like I said it was my first ever Sonic Youth album that turned into my love affair with with Sonic Youth um for me, it's it's still my favourite album because, mm-hmm. you know, it it was so exciting to hear that that then I went back and discovered previous albums and, and just stuck with them. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's a moment I remember. Um, yeah, but I suppose back to 1990, the band signed to Geffen and went on tour with Neil Young. Suddenly magazines were writing about them that ignored them in the past. But the tour was no picnic. And just because you're signed to a major label doesn't mean that everything is, you know, rainbows and sunshine and pixies dancing in the moonlight. Um, pixies, see what you did yeah, there. Pixies. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, oh, I didn't even mean to do that. I uh, wish I had, wish I had. Anyway, the band were like Marmite. And I suppose they, they kind of still are, actually, yeah. 
either you love them or hate them, right? And that was the same at these shows on tour. Sometimes they would be on stage opening for Neil Young and would stare out to rows of empty seats as they played. Um, yeah, so, you know, that's, that's got to be depressing. But they didn't really care. They were just on tour and they were doing yeah. what they loved and, and got on with it. So back to Goo. The artwork is by Raymond Pettibon, who's the brother of Black Flag frontman Greg Jin. Now, here we go. A little bit of an interesting fact. That, that I artwork's really iconic as well, isn't it, that album well, yeah, cover? He, well, basically, they, they were friends with, with him and Black Flag. And there was just like this mm-hmm. whole kind of um, scene of musicians, including like Kurt Cobain and... I mean, I could go on about all, all of her stories, but I really think you should read the book because it's just great. To. It's full of them, but not like sensationalising things. There's just like some personal commentary in there from that time and she drops in and out of bits and it's just really mm-hmm. nice. But anyway, yeah, so back to the, the cover. With with Sonic Youth, majority of their, well, actually all of them, I think, of Sonic Youth's covers are actually done by artists that, that Kim knew. Um, some of them would go on to do great things. Other, other people just, you know, disappeared into obscurity. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it was something that was really important, would have a statement with it as well. So this um, was a kind of, you know, she had been a fan of his work for some time because, like I say, he had done a lot of stuff for, like, a lot of 80s fanzines yeah. and then ended up having his own, like, exhibition show that she helped work on and things like this. Anyway, so the hand-drawn image is based on a newspaper photograph of Maureen Hindley and David Smith, who were key witnesses in the 1966 Moore's murder trial involving serial killers Myra Hindley and Ian Brady. Didn't know that. Yeah. and uh, Did you know that? No, I didn't. I didn't know that at all. Wow. Um, I just thought it had some kind of darker, twisted sense of like pop art stuff, yes. Lichtenstein... Esque. I mean, I thought he looked like something that could be driving around Gotham City. Yeah, yeah, is that that kind of yeah? Yeah. But um, no, no. And for those, those, I mean, everyone must that. But I mean, we've got listeners all over the place, and I might not know. So the the serial killers, Myra Hindley and Eden, Eden, Ian yeah. Brady, um, were notorious. They, they they were serial killers. They were child killers, and. Uh, the, the witness part of it, so that's Myra Hindley's sister and her sister's boyfriend, and basically Ian, that they all hung out together and were becoming quite friendly, and Ian invited David over, and then what he showed David was was this, this boy that he'd brought over, and to not go into too many ghastly details on it, um, then came in with an axe as David was in the room with this boy, not doing anything, like they were just hanging out drinking beer. And then Ian just basically attacked him with an axe. Didn't and, know that. And, and basically just thought that, you know, oh, yeah, because David's his mate now, that David will, will come in on it. David just went along because he thought this guy's batshit fucking crazy. Not um, too far wrong. Yeah, just hung around... Um, for a bit that morning and they said he needed to go home and have a shower and when he got home shaking he told his you know Maureen mm-hmm. his girlfriend what had gone on they went to a call book box terrified that they'd be seen and called the police on them um but yeah they they were 
disgusting serial killers that recorded stuff they did and all sorts of things. And, yeah. Um, so I suppose the reason why I mentioned that is, it, you know, given the fact that the band signed to a major label, mm-hmm. were doing stuff that was quite, uncom- you know, conventional for a major label to, to put out, really, um, in the sense of it was a non-commercial album. Um, Very much so. And then to have a cover like that as well is a real statement of not being... Under not, the thumb. Not being under the thumb and and just, yeah, a, a statement of not conform. When I say not conforming, just as in, you know, now that we're with a shiny big label, we, we're not just going to be on the cover smiling and mock playing guitars or anything. They, they oh. went for something quite powerful. Um, they were standing their the ground, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. And the album Goo, I mean, I love it, love all the songs. And what I love about Sonic Youth is the poetic form, the social commentary, the observational um, lyrics, that, that, that the way that, that Kim Gordon writes is quite incredible. Um, from, from even doing things of, you know, not having an idea to write a song and then deciding to write something about how women describe clothes in... Um, in magazines and cutting out those and making song lyrics to even using creating a song and it's not on this album but um uh you know about what journalists had asked her mm-hmm. so there's there's a lyric and I'm trying to think of what song it is there's a lyric that really sticks out that goes what's it like to be a girl in a band and it's because she'd just been asked that so many bloody times yeah. um anyway but back back to goo so the album goo contains the song Songs like Tunic, which is probably one of my favourite songs, which mm-hmm. is a song for Karen and Karen being Karen Carpenter. And I felt quite oh. a connection to this, knowing that it's about Karen Carpenter because yeah. Sonic Youth is so cool and the complete opposite of the Carpenters. Yeah. <laughs> and I doubt anyone would have ever thought that um, Kim Dick... Oh, my God. Ah. Kim... <laughs> Gordon would have been a fan. And to be honest, when the Carpenters were out, she, you know, in their current time before Karen died, she wasn't really a fan. She sort of mm-hmm. came to them a bit later and learned to sort of appreciate yeah. it in that in that way. As did I do. Obviously, we've got a connection. As Obviously. Did I. So, um, yeah, I mean, I love the Carpenters and I, I, I still do. And and people used to laugh at me for that. Um, but there's... there's um, Kim says in her book... Um, the Carpenters were such a sun-drenched American dream, such a feel-good family success story like the Beach Boys, but with the same darkness going on underneath. Obviously, Karen Carpenter had a strange relationship with her brother, much like Kim with her own brother, actually. Yeah. Um, killer. Um, she goes on to say, uh, Richard, that's Karen Carpenter's brother, Richard, a great producer, but also a control freak. Um, the only autonomy Karen felt she had in her life was to exert it over her own body. She was an extreme version of what a lot of women suffer from, a lack of control over things other than their bodies, which turns the female body into a tool for power, good, bad or ugly. And I thought that was just quite a good statement. She actually, in her mm-hmm. book, she... Because Kim Gordon... Yes, Angela. Yes, she also... <laughs> also wrote for magazines back then, like did interviews with people and stuff like that, and, and she still does, and she wrote this piece, which was a letter to to Karen Carpenter, and, mm-hmm. you know, talks about, you know, did, did anyone really sing your praise at the time? Did your parents, 
did Richard or were Can you, you just... Can the link yeah. for that at the end of this? I'd I'm, really like to read that. I'm, That'd be interesting. Yeah, well, I'm, well, I'm seeing you on Saturday, so I'll bring it over. It's such a good book. Um, it's, it's No, I meant the room. link for the letter to Karen Carpenter. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. It's, it's, really, it's really lovely. It's really lovely and it, it's just, yeah, just shows... She's, oh, God... Her way of just like tackling and presenting an issue in a really mm-hmm. digestible way. I'm going to say digestible. It's not like a throwaway sense, but a way that no. so simply connects with people is is just quite great. And I've always found that with the lyrics that she's she's written as well. Um, and I suppose the lyrics in the song just make me feel quite emotional. Actually, I feel like um, it sort of truly sends chills down my spine like yeah. and I think listen to it when you know what it's about there's lyrics like you know I feel like I'm disappearing every day um mm-hmm. yeah just so so sad about Karen Carpenter uh, another one to cover in in the podcast series at some point I'd like to do her story um so other songs on the album include a song called JC yeah and it's about um Joe Cole who was a friend of the band, who was murdered. He was with, and the story goes, we'll say the story goes, this is what happened. Um, yeah. He was with Henry Rollins mm-hmm. when the two were ambushed by rob- robbers after handing over $50, which they said was all they had, which was true. Um, JC was, was shot point blank in the head. Wow. And Henry R- Rollins just got the fuck out of there and, and ran. Uh- I'm not trying to make light of that situation. Who the hell would try and rob Henry Rollins? I know, he's bloody terrifying. You've got to be out of your mind. Yeah, just, um, yeah. We're looks... not fuck with that man. Yeah. Yeah, she also talks about being at a house party mm-hmm. with him the first time she met him and he was off his face dancing around and just singing in her face quite aggressively. You know, you just think... That that would I would Terrifying. be frightened. I would be absolutely frightened of that situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, Goo is viewed as one of rock's most important albums. It showed that an uncommercial band can succeed on a major label without compromise of their art, their music. Um, they remained in control and did things their way. And I only, I mean, I just mentioned a couple of songs mm-hmm. from that album that. Um, I, I really really like but I mean there's 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 loads on there that, that are, it's bloody that brilliant isn't it I mean cool thing is is probably was was the first I think that was the first single from from the album and that was um inspired by an interview that Kim Gordon did with LL Cool J wow yeah yes that's what I mean like all the songs are really interesting it's like so many musicians just go oh it's about this when I was mm-hmm, broken hearted mm-hmm. and that's totally fine to do that but I just love the way that there's just so many unexpected meanings in their songs anyway so Sonic Youth played their final show in South America at the SWU Music and Arts Festival mm-hmm. um, relationships between all band members were strained and Kim and Thurston were not on speaking terms during that show. And it was not only the end of the band, but also the end of 27 years of marriage. They got married in, in mm-hmm. um, 1984. Um, and basically, he was having an affair. She found out about it. He kept promising he'd leave, um, leave her and stay with Kim and make things work. Then she'd keep discovering that he was seeing this girl still. 
and it went on and on and then it was like final last straw mm-hmm. um but yeah it it kind of yeah really cut deep with her and for i read an article with him and i think it was in nme and he he so boldly states no sonic youth have not split up um we we will definitely be like doing more music in the future we're just not doing it now um we've, we've never had the discussion to split up it's like come on none of the band members want to do it it's not just about you it's anyway yeah yeah but i can understand why it cut quite deep i mean it's not just being in a band in one way is is like being married to someone almost isn't it yeah so if you're also married to that person that's in a band that's like a double hit she, at the same time but she also talks about you know there's certain songs you know she cut like they they wrote so much stuff together yeah. and the band was their relationship mm-hmm. you know that's what cemented them together and there was a lot of reasons why they probably shouldn't have been in a relationship but you know that that was their thing and so without that they don't really have a thing if that makes if that makes mm-hmm. sense but she does say some really really good things about him so it's really not you know sonic youth purists please don't think that this is like a, a bitch fest about him it really isn't she's incredibly factual about what happened and about how it emotionally affected her but she doesn't slag him off like she doesn't say anything that isn't isn't true um Mm -hmm. about what he did and the way he behaved um but yeah she still has a lot of respect for him they're just not in a band together any anymore and uh yeah so that's that was sonic youth and i just i suppose Rather than ending on just a depressing point, of a few facts that you might not know about Kim Gordon. And actually, I think you do know this. Um, she was the producer of Courtney Love's first album. Courtney Love or Hole? Hole. Yeah. Courtney Love's first album with her band Hole was produced by Kim Gordon. I didn't know that, no. Oh, I thought you did. Yeah, by Pretty Kim Gordon. Pretty on the inside? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. And she felt sort of a bit pressured to do it. She said that Courtney Love's not someone that you say no to, but the experience was quite bizarre because Courtney would be nice to the people, like the engineer and the producer, but her own band members, she was like throwing glass mm-hmm. at them and just you know, it's quite volatile. It sounds, again, it sounds terrifying. Um, to be fair, when I researched her, volatile is putting it lightly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There's um yeah, she talks a little bit about, about Courtney Love in in there and, and Kirk Bain and their relationship and um yeah, how she's actually got quite a a bit of a connection with with Kurt. You know, they, they knew each other, they were friends, they hung out in the same scene and just, you know, where she was at the time she heard about him and how mm-hmm. how she felt about that and um, yeah, it's but, but like I say, it's really intelligently written. It's not yeah. uh, like a woe is me sub story way of, of presenting how she feels or trying to jump on any kind of bandwagon. It's you know, this is my not, life kind yeah, of thing. And she just dips into like little little tidbits mm. of stuff like that, um, which are just wonderful insights into her life and the you know the whole scene in America at that time and and you know from those bands before they were were big into into where they would would end and she talks about you know even the first time she saw Kurt play in Nirvana I mean completely different band members and 
what it was like and she thought it was really exciting but Iggy Pop was also there and thought it was awful and and you know there's just really nice glimpses into into that into that world like a portrait um, of a time almost. well yeah exactly and just saying as in there were only 10 people there yeah really at, at that show and um you know everyone has to start somewhere really mm-hmm. um but anyway yes so um also a fact that you mentioned about Courtney Love attacking Kathleen Hanna you mentioned that in one yeah, of the yeah, shows yeah. yeah I have the actual true story here what happened uh, so basically um Sonic Youth were playing on stage at a festival and this is when Courtney punched Kathleen Hanna who was merely just standing at the side of the stage watching Sonic Youth and Courtney just attacked her and hit her did and she that, actually punch her or did yeah, she, she punched her no, she punched well, her. I couldn't discover whether it was a punch or she threw a pint or she threw sweets at her. Well, if you read this book, which again, Kim Gordon, Girl in a Band, all in here. <laughs> the truth according to Kim. So that was that was Kim Gordon. And uh Yeah, I suppose I suppose that's that's pretty much pretty much it. For the, that for that the was episodes. really cool. Thanks so, for clearing Thanks for clearing up the Kathleen Hannah Courtney Love situation. Yeah, no, uh, happy, happy to have done that. But uh, yeah, so Kim Gordon, Kim Deal, absolutely inspirational characters, characters, musicians, artists, Lil Kim, also different music genre, but no less of an absolute legend in in the world of music and influencing a lot of new artists that would then come up after her um, prominence. Although, as I say, she's still she's still creating music to this day. And I would say with all of the artists, you know, go 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 rediscover Lil' Kim and her albums and discover her most recent album. Have a listen back to it um, with a refreshed view of the times and people weren't doing stuff that what she was doing. And then the same with Sonic Youth and... And the breeders and the amps and the pixies. Such such incredible music out there. I love this podcast. Me too. And do you know what I really love? Doing something do like looking at the breeders and the pixies is going back and listening to old albums. Yeah. And listening to you talk about goo, that's getting played tomorrow. I can tell you that straight off. And when that's finished, Daydream Nation's going on and then dirty. So that's it for another week and apologies for not having a podcast last week slap on the wrist we won't do that again um but it was like first weeks back at work for for people and and yeah adjusting to changes Mm -hmm. again and a lot a lot of things going on politically that we felt we wanted to kind of take the time to understand and with that um there's something important i really want to to mention which um if I can find my phone to read the link out correctly, oh, I will Grace's share it with you. Yeah, so Grace from the band um, launched... Oh, my gosh, I'm going to find it now. Basically, Grace is a piano teacher when she's not podcasting and not, you know, dancing around, looking dead cool, playing synths on stage for Bug Eye. Is, um, she wants to ensure the representation of black composers on the ABRSM syllabus. Um, And this is really, really important. 
And she cites, she cites here that, you know, the syllabus has a total of 158 set works from a variety of eras and musical genres. None of these works are written by black composers. Only one of the set of works is written by a BAME composer. So she started a petition and she's so far got 2,580 signatures on that. Literally just started it a couple of days ago, I think. Um, so it's it's incredible the way that it's taken off. And it's on change.org. And so please search for ensure the representation of black composers on the ABRSM syllabus. But I will put a link to this in the show notes. And when you see us posting about the show um, across our social channels, we'll be sure to also put shout outs around this. So you, yeah, it's important. You, you can find you can find this link. So yeah, we will be doing weekly shows from now on. So please do tune in. And with that, remember to email us at rockpoprambles at gmail. You can donate to the show via patreon.com slash bugeye if you want to donate to the show and in return you get loads of bonus content on that. Or you can do a one-off donation at ACAST. Um, you want to see us on social media? and actually engage with us or do something, like follow us, that might be nice. Um, we are Bug Eye Band on Twitter, Bug Eye Music on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, I suppose I suppose that's it for this week. I think it is. So yeah. thanks for tuning in. I've been Paula. And I've been Angela. See you next time. Over and out. <laughs>